Thank you for joining us today. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you're about to watch is from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. Up to this point in our series, we have seen the first half of the book. In chapters 1 through 8, Jesus demonstrated through his life miracles and teaching that he truly is the Son of God. And through the second half of Mark, we'll see Jesus establishing his kingdom by going to the cross. Our entire study through the Gospel of Mark thus far is available in our feed. We would love for you to join in. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. Once again, thank you so much for joining us today. Amen, amen, amen. Well, church family, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Meet me in Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. I'm already just very gracious, uh, grateful, rather, of what God's done in this place already and uh, excited for what he's going to do as we now jump into his word. If I hadn't got a chance to meet you, I would love the opportunity. I'll be out in the lobby at guest services after our service. If you're brand new, trying to figure out what it looks like to connect here, I would love, 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 love to talk to you. Mark 9, we'll be there in just a minute. Do you remember when you were a kid, a time where you felt left out? Maybe you got picked last for kickball on the playground. Maybe you didn't get invited to that birthday party. Maybe somebody told a joke that you didn't quite get and you totally felt left out. I I say all that to set you up. I remember to this day, in fact, I'm 37 years old and I'm still affected by it. I always used to feel left out every single time the magic eye puzzle came out. Does anybody remember these puzzles right here? No? Don't remember that? I grew up in the 90s. If you grew up in the 90s, these were all the rage, okay? Magic eye puzzles and what they say, allegedly, you can, I did a litmus test, by the way, in our staff and a bunch of people couldn't get it. So I, I, I could never get these. I remember my sister had a book, a full book. It had like 30 pages. And, and you do this thing where you like cross your eyes and slowly back it up. Supposedly, there's an image behind the image. Does anybody see it? We had one person that actually got it on our staff team. Listen, I've never been able to do it. So as soon as the magic eye puzzle got brought out, I was like, I'm left out. I'm not going to get it. I've never gotten it. I'll just go ahead and help you out. Supposedly, this is a a bunny on snow skis. I don't know. That's what Google said. Somebody somebody said, I see somebody in a snowboarder. That's a good good start. But for me, I I would never be able to get this, and it looks like I'm in a room full of people that might be just like me and feeling left out, okay? Bunny on snow skis. But my friends would, would say, Scott... It's right there. Don't you see it? And I'm like all cross-eyed, like, no, I don't see it. And they're like, it's, it's right in front of you. Can you not see? Uh, my, my eye doctor actually goes to Hope Church. I don't know if Dr. Ann's in the room, but like, I, I need to get my eyes checked because I've never been able to see not one of these puzzles. You can go Google them. There's a whole bunch of them, and I've never been able to see it. What's the point? The point is, no matter how hard I tried, I could not see what was right in front of me. And we, as a society, as a people, we actually have that, not just with magic eye puzzles, but with the world, with the things of the Lord. If we're not careful, we can actually miss what's right in front of us. In fact, we've been following a bunch of disciples around now for a few years in the Gospel of Mark who are constantly missing what's right in front of them. And just like my friends would say, hey, it's right there. Can't you see it? 
Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has been the faithful friend with the disciples all along the way, showing them it's right here. I want you to see it. We're going to continue our study verse by verse through the gospel of Mark. And we're going to see once again the disciples miss something that we all can learn from. So look at Mark chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 38. Four verses today, Hope Church. Four verses. 38 to 41. Hopefully you're looking at your Bible. Here's what the word of God says. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. Verse 40, for the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. As we jump into the word of God tonight, I, I always want to remind you it's important to know the context. I know some of you are, are here for the first time. We've been studying now in our third year, verse by verse through this gospel. So what has happened to lead to Mark chapter 9, verse 38? What's happened is Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. He is making his rounds all around the ancient Near East. He's now headed to Jerusalem, but all along the way, he has been healing people. He has been letting the blind see, broken people made whole. And all the while, he's proclaiming this message that is radical, completely different than, than everyone thought the Messiah's message would be. He's bringing a kingdom that is kind of flipped on its head. We, we learned a little bit about that last week with Pastor Ricky. He, he said things crazy like, if you want to be first, be last. If you want to be great, get Small. I mean, this, this upside-down kingdom got him some followers, but also got him a lot of enemies. And all the while, Jesus' disciples are along for the ride. They're watching. They're learning. They're growing. They're failing. And yet, the disciples are consistently missing what's right in front of them. Last week we saw it, this week we'll see it. We're gonna see it for the next several weeks. They are not understanding this upside down kingdom. I think it's not just the disciples then, it's also the disciples now. Sometimes we miss what's right in front of us. So this story is very simple. I just read it, four verses. We're gonna go verse by verse through them again. Although this is simple, I think it's gonna give us some stuff to wrestle with that is not easy. So we're going to see two realities from this story. Two realities from this story. Here's the first one right from the text. The disciples tried to stop God's kingdom work. The disciples tried to stop God's kingdom work. Look at it again. Mark chapter 9 verse 38. John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. Here it is. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. We'll start by talking about this character in the first part of the verse, John. Do you guys remember in school when every class had a teacher's pet? Anyone remember the teacher's pet? Yeah, some of you are like, ugh. Yeah, if you're getting annoyed by that, it's probably because you were the teacher's pet. But the rest of us are like, ugh. The teacher's pet always walked around a little pretentious and stuff. Uh, did you know, I'll submit to you tonight, I think John felt like he was Jesus' teacher's pet. You're like, where are you getting that? Actually, in the Gospel of John... John calls himself 
the disciple whom Jesus loved. How about that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Who are you talking about, John? Me? <laughs> but he actually was the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was a part of the inner three. If you know the 12 disciples, there was three, Peter, James, and John, that were kind of the inner three. God mightily used John. He, he ended up writing five books of the New Testament. This is a pretty powerful man, but he was the teacher's pet. And he was walking around in this moment a little pretentious. But right now, the teacher's pet completely missed what was right in front of him. Oh, yeah, yeah, Jesus. He was not following us. I want to just, for the sake of our time together tonight, I want to give you the, the Scott International version of this verse, okay? This is the SIV right here, okay? It's a little paraphrase of what we just read. This is John talking. Jesus, we saw this man who is demon-possessed. I mean, being tormented and abused by spiritual dark forces. And then there was this guy that came along, Jesus, this random dude. And this random guy had the audacity, Jesus, to, to try to cast out this demon in your name, Jesus. You believe that? But don't worry, Jesus. We tried to stop him because he is not with us. He's not a part of our little crew, Jesus. He's not a part of the Jesus gang. He's not a part of the cool kids club. Never mind that this man was trying to free this man of spiritual bondage. Never mind that for this kingdom to spread, it had to go past these 12 disciples. Never mind any of that because he was not with us. Do you see where John and the disciples missed what was right in front of them? But I actually want to submit to you tonight, I think it's deeper than just the fact that this guy wasn't a part of their disciple crew. I want to submit to you tonight and show you from God's word that I believe John and the other disciples were actually jealous of this man. You say, I'm going to need some Bible on that. Flip over just a few verses, probably just a page in your Bible like it is mine. Some of you remember this. We studied it last year, but it's in Mark chapter 9 in this same story. Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and we see in verse 14 a scene that I want to talk about and show you that I actually think the disciples were jealous of this man. Look at it in Mark 9, 14. And when they came to the disciples, this is after the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. Here it is. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. You see it? I think what's happening here in our text is the disciples were trying to stop someone else from doing the very thing they couldn't do themselves. Could it be that these disciples were jealous that this man was doing what they could not. The spiritual success, I want us to feel this because we're about to see it get up in our business for a minute. The spiritual success in other kingdom workers, the disciples tried to stop and eventually stop God's kingdom. Spiritual success in other kingdom workers, the disciples tried to stop and actually stopped God's 
kingdom work. And this is where the, the humanity of the disciples comes face to face with our own tendencies. Every single week we come to this gathering as pastors and you just need to know we've prayed over this text. We've studied this text and by God's grace, this text has wrecked us in all the good ways. And I promise you, I felt that this week. So let's do what we do every week and let this inspired, inerrant word of God bear weight on our lives and ask some tough questions. You ever felt like John felt? I have. <laughs> you ever see the spiritual success in others and it kind of gets under your skin a little bit? I have. And family, if we're not careful, we actually begin to envy God's work in others so that they actually become an opponent of ours in our hearts and we can't even celebrate what God's doing in and through them. This is what we see right here. And I'm just gonna be vulnerable tonight. We live in a strange world here in the American church. I wanna give you a little bit of behind the scenes of, of, of what it means to be a pastor here in, in America. And here's the deal. I don't think it's much, much different than being a Christian here in America. As you talk to your other friends that go to other ministries and other churches. Uh, pastors gathering, we'll be hanging out and conference, dinner, I don't know, there's something. There's a little gathering before the gathering and there'll be a, a group of pastors and every single time it happens, we start to talk about what God's doing in our midst and all of a sudden we start talking about how many people come to the church and how many people got baptized and what the budget is and all of a sudden out of nowhere this strange competitive spirit rises up in a group of people that are supposed to be on the same team. You ever had that at a coffee shop with a friend that goes to a different church? A friend that's connected in a different ministry, all of a sudden, we're supposed to be on the same team, same kingdom. And this competitive spirit rises up. We give the disciples a hard time, but if we're honest, this happens to us all the time. So here's a great question for us to wrestle with as we continue today. I wrestled with it and misery loves company, so I'll let you wrestle with it. Do I see other churches ministries, denominations, and Jesus followers as my competition or my co-laborers in the same kingdom? Do we see people, churches, ministries, denominations as our competition or, or co-workers? You, you know that person, that small group that might know a little bit more Bible than you? And they start talking and you're like, I wish they'd stop talking. Is that because they're talking falsely or is that because you get really annoyed that they know just a little bit more than you? Listen, I do the same thing. This is what we see here. They're not following us, Jesus. He's not following us, Jesus. And hear me clearly. I love this church family. I've been here for 17 years. Like I love Hope Church so much. I get excited every time I get to talk about it. But I just need us to hear as this text bears weight on us and understand before we walk out of here tonight, we all need to be on the same page. We don't have the market cornered on discipleship here in the city of Las Vegas, okay? Some of you are like, I'm not sure. I think we do. Let's keep talking. We're not the only church in Las Vegas that's making disciples. And praise God. Listen, if we were, there's a whole lot of people that wouldn't be made disciples. It doesn't matter how many congregations Hope Church has. One church can't reach two million people by itself. 
So we need other churches. We need other ministries. We need people that are not of us like John missed out on. This is what Tim Keller calls a gospel ecosystem. Say, what on earth is a gospel ecosystem? The gospel ecosystem says, man, in every city, we need big churches. We need small churches. We need attractional churches. We need missional churches. You're like, I have no idea what that is. We need a lot of churches. We need to have cross-denominational relationships. We need to have specialized ministries. And we need to have a mindset that doesn't think we're the only ones doing things right. John said, we tried to stop him, Jesus. Because he wasn't following us. We tried to stop him, Jesus, because, you know, we're, we're the only ones doing it right. Listen, in my flesh, and I'd be willing to bet in your flesh, we feel the same way. But praise God, I don't have to live in my flesh. As a follower of Jesus, he's put the spirit of God in me. So I don't have to live according to the flesh. I can live according to the spirit. So here's what I want to do by the power of the spirit of God. I want to see what Central Church is doing across town when they're serving our city well in Jesus' name. And I want to say, yes, God, more of that. I want to look on Instagram and see the Church LV baptize a bunch of people after their Christmas services and not envy, but go, yes, Lord, more of that. More of people meeting Jesus and, and proclaiming that through baptism. When I see the Crossing Church and all their campuses reaching the next generation, yes, Lord, more of that. When I see a church that this church planted, Walk Church, and a church that they planted, Favor City Church, doing so much work in the city and discipling people, yes, Lord, more of that. We have two churches right now that we're sending out, in, out from our fellowship, King City Church and, and the Village Church. Man, I hope as we launch them out this year, we see God just absolutely Ephesians 3.20 more than they could ever ask or imagine. Do it, Lord. Why? Because we're on the same team in the same kingdom. So let's be about the kingdom. I heard a quote this week. I tried to find who it was attributed to, but I couldn't, so I'll just say it. Christianity is the only army that injures its own soldiers. Hey, have you ever done that? Hey, let's just be, hey, it's a family. You ever done that? You're at coffee with your friend that goes to another church. Oh, yeah, that's what your church does, yeah. My church doesn't do that. Oh, you're doing that sermon series. That's cool. Yeah, my church preaches verse by verse through the gospel of Mark. <laughs> Praise God. We're laughing. But if we're honest, we can find ourselves right here with John and the disciples. What starts to look like competition rather than co-laboring for the same kingdom. Listen, and hear my heart on this. It is right and normal to have convictions and preferences that, that make you here at Hope Church. I'm grateful you're a part of this church. I'm so glad because of the, the way we, we decide to do gatherings and the way we decide to stop, that you and your family are saying, man, this is where I'm all in. That's what I've been for 17 years. But where we go wrong is when we start thinking, the reason I'm here is because we're the only ones doing it right. And that's different. So that's what we're gonna do, right? That we, we're gonna show the world that we're followers of Jesus at Hope Church because we're doing it right. To that sentiment, Jesus says one of the most stinging lines in the New Testament. Some of you have heard this first. Look at John 13, verse 35. Jesus says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Whoa, 
whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus just said, this is how they're going to know. He's given us the secret sauce of the kingdom of God right here. By this, this is going to be good. Lean in, Hope Church. He's about to tell us how everyone will know. Surely it's going to be like our preaching style, right? Surely it's, it's by our theology people will know that you are my disciples. It's by the, the way we worship in the spirit they'll know you're my disciples. It's for sure by your city engagement ministry that's killing it, doing it way better than everybody else. Surely it's because of the depth of Bible knowledge. That's how people will know that we are his disciples. Some of you already know what the verse says and it doesn't say any of that. So how, Jesus? How will the lost world know that we are your disciples? He says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Could you imagine if Christians in the city of Las Vegas stopped competing in the kingdom of God and started co-laboring in the kingdom of God? Jesus just told us that's how a lost world will know that we're his disciples is if we have love for one another. Listen, a city is not reached and God is not honored by people on the same team fighting over secondary issues. The disciples tried to stop God's kingdom work. Listen, all that stuff I said, it's not that it's not important. It's just not the most important. The disciples tried to stop God's kingdom because they had a narrow focus on who could be involved question I have for me and for us and for you is have we done the same thing? Sinclair Ferguson said it right. He said, if Christ is not ashamed to indwell them, that's Jesus followers, I will not be slow to embrace them. Same team, same kingdom. And I feel it in the room. I feel the tension. And I felt it this week as I studied some of you are thinking, okay, whoa, 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 Scott, that's a slippery slope. <laughs> like, are we just supposed to universally accept everybody who, who claims the name of Jesus? Just throw them all in there, right? We're just supposed to, to universally just say yes, and we're on the same team, same kingdom, just because somebody uses Jesus' name? No, I do not think that is what we should do. And I don't think that's what Jesus thinks we should do, because he teaches that us, us that in the next point. Yes, the disciples tried to stop God's kingdom, but also... Jesus teaches the disciples how God, God's kingdom works. Jesus teaches the disciples how God's kingdom works. Look at it in verse 39. But Jesus said, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. I believe understanding these verses hinges on those three words that I've highlighted right there. If you're asking the question, are we just supposed to universally accept everyone who is, says the name of Jesus and they're supposed to say we are for him and they are doing ministry in his name? No, no, no. And we know that for sure isn't true because we already see it in the New Testament. Some of you Bible students will know a couple stories that I'll mention. I encourage you to write these references down and go study them later. But in Acts chapter 19, there's these men that have become known as the seven sons of Sceva. There's a mouthful. The seven sons of Sceva are trying to do ministry for their own personal gain. And it says there in Acts 19 that they're trying to use Jesus' name. They're trying to do ministry in his name. 
The difference is, is they're trying to use it as some sort of formula for personal gain, separated from any sort of actual ongoing relationship with Jesus. And it is not that they are for him. In fact, the Bible says the opposite. And then, of course, some of the most haunting words Jesus ever said in Matthew chapter 7, when a bunch of people will come to him on the last day and say, Jesus, didn't we do all this stuff in your name? I mean, we were killing it out there. We were doing ministry all over the place. And what does Jesus say? He says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. There it is, Preston. I never knew you. Listen, using Christ's name apart from being in Christ is not going to give you some sort of formula to produce ministry. It matters that you're in Christ. Cults have led many people astray right here in our city and in over the centuries by using a little bit of truth and some very dangerous doctrinal errors and throwing Jesus' name in there, but they are not for Jesus. In fact, they are very much against the one true God and his kingdom. So the million-dollar question becomes, how do you know? How do you know who is truly ministering in his name and is for Christ and not against him? where I want to spend the remainder of our time. I think there's a lot of ways that God's word gives us, but one really good way is to look at what Jesus Christ said about himself. If you go to the source, it helps you to stay on the straight path. It helps you not to get sideways when you go to the source. And Jesus actually lays out a framework for helping us discern who is for him and who is against him. It's a line in the sand, if you will. So I want us to look for just a few moments at, at Probably Jesus' most famous line in the sand in John chapter 14, verse 6. Look at these words. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's dive into this. I think as we discern who is truly for the kingdom, in his name, and who is truly, and is not for him, but against him, we can look at who he has himself revealed himself to be. And then that becomes the gauge, and he just gave us a pretty incredible gauge. Uh, this verse right here is, is both radically exclusive and ridiculously inclusive. You say, explain that. Radically exclusive in that he didn't make any bones about the fact that there is one way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Listen, Jesus in one way is extremely exclusive. There is no other way or truth or life apart from Christ himself. But at the same time, we know the gospel is extremely inclusive, ridiculously inclusive. What does that mean? Anybody can come. There's one way to Jesus or there's one way to God and that's through Jesus. But there's a million ways to Jesus Right, we, we, we see this in our own stories. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We all have such diverse stories of how we came to know Christ. So anyone can come. Jesus says, come all who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Anyone can come into the kingdom. But, but for our time together tonight, I want this to be the litmus test for us discerning who is for Christ and who is by nature against Christ. And it's how he reveals himself. So he says, I am the way. I am the 
way. Hear it clearly. If someone is saying there is a different way apart from Jesus, they are not of him. Jesus doesn't say I'm a way to salvation. He says I am the way. No works, no creeds, no baptisms, no other books. He is the revealed son of God and he is the way. Bible says he is the truth. If someone is saying there's another truth apart from Jesus and what he reveals, they are not of him. Listen, church, truth matters. Doctrine matters. Theology matters. I'm talking about non-negotiable truth. A line in the sand is what Jesus is laying out here. What does that look like? It means agreeing with God to say that Jesus is God in the flesh. The second member of the the Trinity, one God, three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is God. We hold that tightly. That's a line in the sand. That's truth. That Jesus lived a sinless life, died on the cross for the sin of humanity. Three days later, rose again to give us life. This is the gospel. That's a line in the sand, a non-negotiable truth. How do we get to that salvation? We come to that salvation not by works, but by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This is a non-negotiable line in the sand. Where do we learn all that? In God's inspired word alone. Our authoritative book of truth. These are the things we hold tightly. Praise God for diversity in the church with negotiable issues and preferences and convictions. Praise God for diversity in his his global church. But these are things we don't budge on. These are non-negotiable lines in the sand. Listen, if anyone preaches something contrary to that, they are not of him. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. If someone's saying there's life apart from Christ, they are not of him. I hope you're understanding it. What Jesus is doing in Mark chapter 9 is he's creating two categories, and they're pretty simple. You are either for Jesus or you are against Jesus. Two categories. What he's saying is neutrality is not an option. (laughs) And let's be honest, we live in a culture, we love neutrality. Right? We want to go right here and sit on that fence. I don't really want to go either way. I'm going to sit right on this fence. Jesus said there ain't no fence. You are either for Jesus or you are against Jesus. Every person on the planet, for or against. And I love this. Some of you need to hear this. In the kingdom of God, there's no JV or varsity or levels. You are either in Christ or you are not in Christ. So what do we learn today? Here's what I believe we learned from this passage. I want to land the plane this way. This passage is not saying we shouldn't be discerning. This passage is saying we shouldn't be divisive. We need to be confident in calling out what is false. But we need to be careful in causing harm to who is family. We need to be confident, church. Don't walk out of here thinking these non-negotiable lines in the sand, I promise you, I'm a theology nerd. I'm going to call that out. From this stage and from every place we inhabit in this city, we should be calling that out. Calling out what is 
false, but we should be careful in causing harm to God's family. And that's what we see here in this passage. They're not of us, Jesus. So we tried to stop him. I've had the privilege by God's grace over the last several years of being here at Hope to to travel and see God's kingdom all over the world. I've been to a lot of different countries because of my role here at Hope, and it's, it's incredible to see. We're always inviting you. If you hadn't gone somewhere, go somewhere to see what God is doing all over the world. God's kingdom is really big, and it's really diverse. But you know what I've noticed? Some of the silly arguments that we like to get involved with here in America, they don't like to get involved in around the world. <laughs> Obviously, that's not a blanket statement. That happens, but by and large, I've seen it. There's not a lot of the silly, petty arguments. You go to India, they're not, they're not arguing about these negotiable things. Why? Because there's one billion people to reach that right now, if they died, they go spend eternity apart from God. So they're going, there's a way bigger mission than my preference. You go to China, people are like, talking about different modes of baptism and all these different, maybe in, in circles, but as I've seen it, no way, man, they are locking arms because there is a way bigger mission than just myself and my preferences. Here's what I think. Our, our American privilege of having a buffet of, of every kind of style and flavor of evangelicalism, hear this, it's actually become a kryptonite in the kingdom of God for us. Keeping it vulnerable. Maybe you can relate. I'd rather sit at a coffee shop with another Christian and argue about how we should baptize in the church by the New Testament than go talk to my lost neighbor about Jesus. In my flesh, I'd rather do that. In my flesh. Again, this is why we got to always be asking the Lord, help us to operate by the spirit, not by the flesh. In my flesh, I'd rather prove to another follower of Jesus my theological position on God's sovereignty and salvation than actually partner with a ministry and go downtown and see salvation happen in my midst. This is what John is caught up doing in this passage. Hey, we stopped him, Jesus, or we tried. He was not of us. Maybe that's why Jesus ends this discussion with such a simple picture of the kingdom. Look at verse 41 as we close. Jesus said, for truly I say to you, whoever gives a cup of water to drink, gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ, will by no means lose his reward. What's he saying there? Here's what I think he's saying. Even the smallest act of obedience is better than disobedience. Even the smallest glimpse of ministry is better than no ministry. This is what Jesus teaches the disciples then and the disciples now. Let us not miss what's right in front of us. Let's pray. Thank you for your word, Jesus. Thank you for, gosh, how it reads us. We read it, it reads us, and you change us by it by the power of your spirit. I pray right now as we respond. Pray right now as we respond, Lord, we would respond in obedience. Response tonight is pretty simple. If you're a follower of Jesus today, I wanna, wanna ask you the question I wrestle with all week. Where has the Lord convicted you? 
on the picture and your posture of the kingdom of God. An us-them competition. Where has the Lord just put his hand of grace to say, you're looking at this like it's a competition, but you should be co-laboring. We're going to stand to sing in just a minute and praise the name of the Lord our God. Maybe you want to just do this there in your seat. Of course, this altar is always open. But is there, a, is there a judgment in your heart that if you're honest, you just need to repent of? Is there pride that you need to just say, Lord, I, I, I repent of this pride and I ask you to make me humble when I look at other ministries and other churches? Listen, let's call out with confidence what's false. But let's be very careful to not cause harm in God's family. Is there reconciliation that needs to be pursued in your life with other followers of Jesus, other ministries, other churches, people in your small group who you felt some of the things that I shared tonight? My prayer is that every follower of Jesus would just allow the Spirit of God to lead them towards repentance. It's His kindness that leads you towards repentance. And today you heard a kind word from the Lord that maybe He's leading you in a different direction. If you're not a follower of Jesus, the Bible is clear. You may not actively think this, but if you're not a follower of Jesus, you are against Him. But the good news is, even though you're against Him, He is for you. And He came to this earth to purchase your freedom, to buy you back, because He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so maybe today you want to talk to somebody about what it looks like to follow Jesus. We would love to have that conversation. We're going to respond however the Lord leads. I'm going to follow him in obedience. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time. Lead us now, Holy Spirit, as we worship and respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's respond as the Lord leads.